Okay, welcome to Wednesday Night Bible Study, uh, January 6th. We are now uh, beginning our lesson on the Epistle to the Romans, Paul's letter there. But uh, I'd like to just begin with a word of prayer, and especially for our country, as today some tragic events and things have occurred. So let's pray. Lord God, we come before you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Lord, we uh, lift up our country to you, Lord, our government and people, political parties and uh, people in authority, even news media, Lord, and uh, everyone, Lord, that uh, somehow, Lord, we could come to unity again and remember that we are one nation under God. That somehow we could come together again and remember that we are Americans first and foremost, and that we could end this division and this fighting and uh, realize that we are never all going to get what we always want, Lord, but we are all part of the big picture. And that if we work together, we are so much better and stronger than when we are opposing one another. And so, Lord, I just ask that. Uh, your mercy be extended to us, and uh, as we've sinned before you, Lord, and I ask that your grace be there, that leadership would rise up, Lord, and uh, take that mantle of godly leadership and move this country forward in the direction that you desire, Lord, and that no harm would come to anyone else, Lord, as a result of uh, all of this. And so, Father, we just appeal to you because you are our Lord, our Savior, our help, our comfort, our strength. We know that you hear. We know that you respond in all of this, Lord. And so, Father, we just uh, thank you. We thank you for this time in Bible study, Lord, and we ask that you just uh, guide us through this uh, study of uh, Paul's letter to the church in Rome. And uh, again, we give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, uh, Romans is probably, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to say the most important book because every word of God is most important. But when it comes to doctrine statements in the church, in other words, doctrine means belief. Uh, when it comes to what the church is supposed to be or what Christianity is, you're going to find all the components of it in Romans. Because Paul's writing to a church that he's never visited, uh, that he wants to visit. It's a Gentile church. In other words, it doesn't have uh, a Jewish background. It doesn't have a background of the scriptures. So Paul is basically writing Christianity 101 for them. He's saying this is what Christianity is. So that's why there's a lot of doctrine statements. And on your handout, if you're uh, uh, seeing this, uh, listening to this, on podcast, uh, make sure you click because my handout is there. And in the back page of all these handouts, I'll be writing down all the doctrine statements that we come across, uh, and I'll be outlining them as we go through it. But Romans is just a very strong, strong uh, letter. Uh, so I'll probably be doing just basically line by line as, as we go through here so tonight. Be uh, part one, most likely chapter one. So it's written by Paul in the year 57 A.D., right towards the time of his, the end of his third missionary journey. So in other words, he was looking forward to a fourth missionary journey to go to Rome. 
and preach, and he never really got there. He got to Rome, but under arrest. And so one of the things that this epistle explores is the significance of the sacrificial death of Christ. So if, 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 if someone's wondering, okay, why did Jesus have to die? Why does someone have to die? Uh, it's explained in Romans over and over, you know. Uh, and it's a letter of doctrines, beliefs, and theology. In other words, who is God? What is God doing? So, uh, uh, and I th- just chase a rabbit real fast. I think this is one of the biggest areas in the church that's not addressed the way it should be is theology. I think a lot of times, especially in the last 20, 30, 40 years, the the teaching in the church has been more based on self and people and not on God. Theology is teaching on God, who God is, what he's doing, what he's done, uh, how he will respond, and then what we are supposed to do in relationship to that. So theology for me is extremely important uh, to the church, and I think that's one of the markers of the decline in the church is is the lack of theology in the church. And then this letter is written to the church in Rome, small church there. Again, you know, Rome was a center of paganism. Rome was a center of 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 idolatry. It was a center of uh, self worship. It was a center of. Uh, you know, Rome, you know, the Romans, they felt they were gods. And they, you know, actually one of the Caesar's, one of Caesar's titles, Caesar is a generic term for the, for the head of, of the Roman Empire. But one of the other titles is son of God. So, you know, that's the way they saw themselves. So, Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Says Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Okay, he's called as an apostle. Apostles established churches. And I put this down in your heading just as a slight rabbit chase, but call. You know, when God calls you and God calls all of us to something, it's must do. You know, it's something that we must do. And there's many different things that Probably after we do Romans, we're going to go into Corinthians. And then Corinthians talks about the gifts that God gives us and, and the things that God calls us to do within the body. But call is must-do. But it's also something that you need God's help to complete. We can't do it on our own. So in other words, called as a, as a, as a pastor and a teacher and a church planter at one time, but without God's help, none of that would happen. Okay? So... Uh, and then the other thing there is it energizes you. It's like, you know, somebody said once, if you can find a, a job that you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that. When you answer God's call, you're just energized. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, uh, wear you out. You're, you're, you're energized with it. That's why I say about evangelism, you know. When you go out and you share the gospel, you, you come back just so energized, so full of life. Something has just happened to you while you're out there. So verse 2 to 4. It says, uh, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, Scriptures point to Christ, Messiah, 
the Son of God, there is a doctrine statement. Another doctrine statement that I didn't put in your handout is resurrection from the dead. That's, you know, you believe that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. It's a doctrine statement. If you don't believe that, then it's very hard to say, well, one day you will be resurrected because there there has to be a biblical antecedent, something that comes before it or something that you're you're, you're now joined into. Uh, so if Jesus wasn't resurrected, we could not hope for resurrection. But, you know, scriptures makes it real clear in the Gospels that uh, Christ is in us and we are in him. And that's what he's talking about. That same resurrection power that was in him is in us. And one day we will be resurrected as well in the kingdom of God and live in eternity. So the scriptures point to Christ or Messiah. Son of God is a doctrine statement. Uh, Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Doctrine statement. And by the way, these doctrine statements are non-negotiable. So this is Christianity 101. You can't say, okay, well, I take, I take, I take 20 of those, but the last two, uh, I, don't, I don't think so. No, they're all steadfast. These are in stone. So this, a lot of times, is what sets... Christians apart because some people in some churches or organizations or whatever it might be may not sign off on all of these doctrine statements and if they don't they at root at heart are not Christian you know for example how could you say you're a Christian and not believe in resurrection how could you say you're a Christian and not believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God how could you be a Christian and say uh, well Jesus didn't come you know, God didn't come in, in godly form to uh, to save me. How could you be? How could you be a Christian? You, you you can't. So, this is back in the day when they used to have what was known more as church discipline. It was the idea that if someone taught something like that, man, they would bring them in right away and they would say, "Hey, wait a minute. You know, let's let's get this straightened out here." Uh, doctrine statements are extremely important. So again, this is why Romans is important. Verse 5 to 6. What well, ends with Jesus Christ our Lord, verse 4, verse 5. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you are also called of Christ Jesus. So through Christ we receive grace and call. It's our doctrine statement again. Um an apostleship there, you know, to build a church. But notice what he says from verse 4. Jesus Christ our Lord, verse 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles. Gentiles means others. Romans were others. Gentiles means those that were not Jewish. So what he's saying here is that uh, Christ has, has given them the apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. In other words, that they come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, uh, you know, to, to bring, come to faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are called of Christ Jesus. So in other words, he's making it clear to the Romans that they are called by God, not just Jews, not just some, but all. Yeah, yeah. Why is Gentiles, I don't know if your translation has it, but it's capital G. Capital G? It's a proper name. 
Gentile. It's like insurance salesman. <laughs> proper name. Hmm. Council member, proper name. Um, let's see. Through Christ we receive grace and call, which is a doctrine statement. And this is kind of, you know, apostleship is build the church action plan. So in other words, he keeps talking about apostleship here. What do apostles do? They establish churches. So what's Paul's desire? To make sure that the church in Rome is established. Right? Because remember when we were reading in Acts and we did the missionary journeys, what was he doing? Making sure all those churches that he didn't start, that they were established and they were established properly. And if they weren't, he would send Barnabas or somebody else there to uh, um, to make sure that they received the, uh, the proper instruction. So this is build the church action plan. When it talks about apostleship, that's what apostles do. You're, you're building a church where one does not exist. It's an apostolic call. Today we call it church planting, but it's really an, ap an apostolic work. Thoughts or questions on any of that? Good. Verse 7. And to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. To Rome, again the original audience, to them. But notice he says, to all who are beloved of God in Rome. You know, he uses very uh, uh, um, almost affectionate language, you know, letting them know, you know, God cares about you uh, in, in, in Rome. Even though what they were practicing in real life, and we're going to get to some of it by the end of this chapter, what they were actually, the way they were actually living their lives was so far distanced from what God has said. But again, God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son. So Paul wants the Romans to know God loves them. Paul wants them to know he loves them. He wants the Romans to know that he wants to come to them. He, want, he lets them know that he cares about them and he wants them to be discipled and learn, you know, Christianity the proper way. So verse 8 says, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Um, God through Christ. It's a doctrine statement. In other words, no one gets to the Father but through Jesus. So he's picking up on what, you know, was in the Gospels, that God uh, through Christ. Because again, he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus, right? So in other words, there's an acknowledgement of Christ. This is why one of the reasons we pray in the name of Jesus. We're going, we're acknowledging that we're going through Christ uh, to God the Father. First of all, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. So in other words, he, he knows that these people are coming to faith there and people are finding out about it. You know, even though it's an extreme minority there, it's uh, they, they know what's going on. Verse 9 to 12. For God whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you. 
always in my prayers, making requests, if perhaps now, at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you in order that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you, while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. So basically, Paul understands his role as a church father, as a church leader. He's there that, you know, I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that he may take, you know, what he's learned, what he knows, and, and he would give it. But, you know, he also says there in verse 12, that is that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. And so, again, here's the idea in the concept of the church and people coming together, worshiping together, because what do we do, among other things? We encourage one another, right? So that's why when they try to break us up and segregate us, that's not good. Uh, but Paul says, he says, I, I come to give you a gift, but I will be encouraged by your faith, right? And so it's not about the level of deep spirituality they have at this point or how much they know. It's a fact of their faith, you know, brother to brother, you know, brother to sister type thing. Uh, love of God. He's encouraged by that, as, as we all are. It's like when we find out, you know, someone is a brother in the Lord. My wife had a phone call last night. She was talking to someone, and somehow it came out that he was a believer. And then the, the whole conversation took this right turn into Christianity for about 15 minutes before they it came back to what the, what the call was actually all about. Because they were basically both encouraging each other in the Lord. So it was just kind of... Uh, Kind of interesting to hear. <clears throat> Verse 13 to 15. It says, And I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented thus far, in order that I might obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Thus, for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. So again, Paul's kind of making apologies and saying, you know, you know, I wanted to come to you, and thus far it's been hard for me to get there. I want to do it. But what does he want to do? Preach the gospel. So what are we called to do? Preach the, Preach the gospel. gospel. And so it's, it's, it's not like he says, you know, oh, I've got all these things and these plans and 21 ways on how to do this and 41 ways to do that. He says, no, I want to come and preach the gospel to you. Because if we don't get the gospel right, everything else is going to be off. And that's that's the foundation stone, is the gospel to the church. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the foundation stone. If that stone is not laid right, everything else will be off. So verse 16 and 17. He says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation... To everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. few things in there. Um, first is the gospel. Not ashamed of the gospel. <clears throat> Think about it for a second in the beginning. <clears throat> 
Christianity began with a man's death. That's not the normal way you start something. That's not only the way something ends. <clears throat> but it, it was the beginning uh, because that death led to resurrection and ascension and giving of the Holy Spirit and led to the church age. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God. Where is the power of God? It's in the gospel and it's for salvation. This is why the gospel is so important that when you do not preach the gospel, the power of God is not there. He says, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And again, according to scripture, remember in Matthew, it says to the Jew first and then the Greeks. And so it was given to the Jews first and then to the Greeks. And, and that's just the way uh, fulfilling what scripture said. Verse 17, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. So the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. From faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. You know, righteousness is also can be translated as justice. It is God's justice. And God's justice is revealed in the gospel since we have not, we could not live under the law. So in other words, if Jesus Christ did not come, then everyone basically would have perished under the law. But the justice said that a, that a death is required. So the justice is now fulfilled through Jesus Christ in that. It doesn't nullify the law, it doesn't take away the law, because the law is important for instruction, for guidance, for uh, showing us how we've fallen short of the glory of God. It sets the standard. Uh, so the law is still there, but the means to how we get to heaven is still in place, but it is through Jesus Christ. Okay. Thoughts, questions there? So, I mean, he's pretty basic as he, as he goes through this. But remember, and this is why it's, it's, it's a good read, because he's preaching to people that don't know the Bible. So he's laboring points and he's saying, here's the steps. Here's the way it goes. You know, that's why it's Christianity 101. Verse 18 to 23. <clears throat> For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Let me hold it there for a second, Jason Rabbit. I got time here. You know, sometimes people wonder about the wrath of God. You know, you read about the wrath of God, you know, and, and some people you know terrified of the wrath of God as as we should be. And but the point here is that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against what? ungodliness and unrighteous men. In other words, people that have not received the gospel, have not uh, responded to God's call. And uh, uh, so, that's why I was saying when, when if you fast forward when we're in the book of Revelation, and people want to wonder, well, where in end time events is, is the church, and when is the church going to be pulled out, and all these things, you know, yada, yada. One of the things you take some strength in is realize that we are not destined for the wrath of God. Right? So when the wrath of God comes, we are not destined for that. So, you know, something to think about. For the wrath of God, verse 18, is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and unrighteousness of men 
who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now think about this. In their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. And I think we, we see this at work today. Uh, we, we, we see the truth being suppressed. Uh, if you can muzzle the church, then the church cannot uh, speak the truth, and therefore the world is not convicted of what they're doing. Now remember, he's preaching this letter. He's giving this letter to people that are unrighteous. You know, it's given first to people that are to the church, but the broader spectrum are Romans who do not know God. Right? Verse 19. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through that which was made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Talking about idol worship, talking about uh, uh, other gods and stuff like this. But the point here is that even though the gospel was not preached to them yet, that doesn't mean that these people do have not been aware of who God is. Because he says, God is evident in what he's created. And that's why I always say, if you want to look for evidence of God, just go outside and start pondering nature. Why does it do what it does? Why do we have seasons? Why do we have snow? Why do we have rain? Why do we have deserts? Why do we have... Uh, hurricanes, why do we have uh, volcanoes, why do all, all of this stuff why do the whales go north, why do they go south, why do the birds go and do what they do, why do the ants and all of that stuff work together, why does that, you know, that's 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 a marker for intelligent design when everything works together, okay that's intelligent design and it's it says in verse 19 because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them, verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, in other words, who God is, his internal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through that which has been made, so that they're without excuse. So in other words, nature and creation shows us God's invisible attributes and shows us the power of God because from let there be light you know if you just look at the moon I remember being a little kid and looking up at the moon and wondering okay how does it stay there and then the stars what keeps them there you know and then why does why does the earth when I started learning about the axis of the earth and it turns and it creates the seasons why does it do that you know how does it do that you know and all that stuff in, uh, in, you know, and then the gamma rays, you know, that are around that protect us and all this other stuff. You know, there's so many things that, you know, when you look at it, even in, to a primitive person, uh, it's, it's, it's like there is someone who created this. 
and they created it in such a way that it would sustain life, right? Because we have the plants, we have the animals, uh, we have the renewal all the time. And, uh, uh, you know, so it says, you know, they're, they don't have any excuse if they're saying they didn't know about a God because it's evident by creation. Uh, verse 21, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God. So it's kind of like, okay, yeah, there's a God, but they didn't honor this God. They would rather uh, honor other things. He said they didn't honor him or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-legged animals and crawling creatures. Again, worshiping nature, right? Uh, you know, the golden calf, all this stuff, and, and statues to Caesar and, and whoever else, uh, you know, I, I, I saw it the other day. I remember the uh, during Desert Storm uh, and all the all the statues that uh, uh, what's his name made to himself. Yeah, and you know, I mean, that was idolize me. I am, I am the king here, and that was one of the first things they tore down. You know, they they pulled those statues down. Um. Uh, so, thoughts, questions. Verse 24 to 25. Therefore God gave them over. Now when it says God gave them over, it doesn't mean God forgot about them and God didn't care about them. It's that in in the sense that if, you know, if you can't see who I am for who I am, you know, that's on you. That's not on me. It's, you know, I've, I've, you, you, you should recognize who I am by what I've done. That's why, again, you know, the sermon in the last couple Sundays when Moses said, well, who should I tell him? And he says, tell him I am, said you. The one who is, uh, the one who was and the one who is to come. I am, Yahweh. That's the uh, eternal name of God in the Old Testament. Uh, let's see again, verse 24. Therefore God gave them over to the lust of their hearts. In other words, what they wanted you know, he, 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 you know, they, they, they now started following the lusts of their heart to impurity that their bodies might be dishonored among them. Now, this is important for what we're going to be reading in a second. We'll probably reference this again. But notice it says, Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their heart to impurity that their bodies might be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. So they worship, we should be worshipping creation, not, I mean, we should be worshipping the creator, not creation. Doctrine statement. What they were doing, uh, they were worshipping that which had been created and whatever they could come up with. So again, the golden calf, they made that. They came up with that. You know, uh, whatever else it might be, the fire god, the moon god, the sun god, any of that stuff. For 25, so notice, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. In other words, it's like the truth is out there 
And rather than gravitate towards the truth, they said, instead of taking the truth, I'm going to take the lie. Because why? Maybe the, the lie serves me better. The lie, the lie makes me more than, uh, than what, what uh, I think I am. For they exchanged the truth of God for lie and worshipped and served cre- the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So right there we talk about the, the fall of man in the, in, the, in the fall not only of Romans but of, of humankind in that when God is not present they will worship that which is created. And you in, in what is created it's created by them. That's why, you know, people that, that, that do things are uh, uh, going back to Saddam Hussein, you know, building the, the thing in himself. Look who I am. I've done all this and, you know, you know I'm to be worshipped now. Or, you know, somebody, uh, somebody makes a movie or they do something or they're an actor and what happens now all of a sudden they're just Mr. or Mrs. Wonderful, you know, because, of, uh, because they're on TV or they're, they're, they're in a movie or something. You know, what does that have to do uh, with God? Absolutely nothing. So, they were worshiping creation rather than the creator. Now, take that into the context of verse 26 and 27. Because sometimes 26 and 27 gets taught, but the verses ahead of it aren't added to it. And then it says, For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural functions for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. It's homosexuality. And this was huge in Rome. Huge. Uh, they even had uh, uh, places of 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 idol worship where that stuff went on inside their uh, fertility uh, uh, temples and all that stuff. But notice, God is saying that when you disregard creation, when you disregard the truth, what's going to happen is you're going to continue to fall, and as you continue to fall. This is where it's going to go. This is where society is going to go. You know, people don't want to hear that, but it's pretty clear, you know, that it's, 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 it's a domino effect. One thing's going to lead to another, to another, to another, to another, to another. And uh, this, is, this is what it's showing here. Uh, and it goes on after this. Uh, it's, it's, going to, it's, going to, it's going to throw sh- some more. Thoughts, questions on that? So a lot of times people don't want to hear that. Now, in the church, this doesn't mean we exclude someone or say you can't come in because church is for the sinners, right? Is this you don't do it, you cannot condone it. You love the sinner, you welcome the sinner, preach the gospel to the sinners so the Holy Spirit can do the work on the inside of them. You don't say, no, you can't come here because you did this. Well, the problem with that is all have fallen short of the glory of God. Okay? They've just fallen in a particular way and so that is why you go to some places and you'll have churches that are homosexual and then you ask the question how could they have homosexual churches well they got kicked out of church they god was calling them 
And rather than preach to them, rather than give them the gospel, rather than uh, allow Holy Spirit to convict the, the sin, they did not allow them in. But they still had this hunger for God, as we all do in one form or another. And so what they do, they congregate together, and now they have a perverted sense of who God is and what Christianity is. So again, one leads to another, to another, to another. Verse 28. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer. So in other words, he says, when you're doing that, you're not acknowledging God. Because God has an order, right? So to do that, you have to, in a sense, not acknowledge God. You can say, oh, I love God, I do this and that. But if you're not following, you're not acknowledging. And that's what he's saying here. Okay, It's not the idea of, yeah, oh, I know who God is. No, acknowledging who he is, what he said. Again, theology. Right? So, just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind so that those to do things which are no longer proper. So, in other words, it just gets worse. Right? Right? And we're going to get into what's not proper in a second. But per your outline there, I said spiritual formation is not an option. So in other words, we're going to be formed spiritually one way or another. So when you talk about spiritual formation, it's just not the Holy Spirit. That's the way we should be formed. But we will be formed by an evil spirit. We We will be formed spiritually one way or another. Okay? So now here's where this leads. Notice, this is just the opening chapter of his letter. These are the opening verses, lines in his, in his letter. So, I mean, he gets to it right away. Uh, verse 29. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips. Now, notice... They put gossips in there with murderers and, and everything else. You know, and you know, some people think, you know, gossip is okay and yada yada yada. But gossip actually when you listen to people gossip, murder is going on. Because they're destroying somebody in the gossip by what comes out of their mouth. And the other side of it is even if you are not the one giving it, if you're listening to it, you're part of that equation. Rather than saying, no, I don't want to hear that, don't, mm-mm. you know, that if there's a problem, let's go give them the gospel, you know. Uh, so again, 29, being filled. So again, in other words, the dominoes keep falling. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, they are gossips. And it goes on, slanderers, haters of God. So it went from not acknowledging God Tonight you become a hater of God. Right? Uh, Slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. In other words, family structure in the unit. Verse 31. Without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful and then for 32 and although they know the ordinance of God 
You see? They know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death. They not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. So in other words, now you'll legislate a lifestyle. You say, oh, well, that's okay. Everybody has the right to whatever, you know. Uh, you know, all these things that are going on in the world today that, you know, I, I, when I was a kid, I never saw any of this stuff coming. You know, it's going on today. Uh, it's just, no. But again, 32, and although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. You know, this is being in agreement, this is conspirators, uh, this is this is um, moving a lifestyle away from God forward. It's promoting it. It's it's saying it's okay. It's not applying any correction. It's not speaking to it. Uh, you know, again, if if you know something's wrong and you don't say anything, uh, you're just as guilty because you know it's wrong and you don't say anything. Um, so the result. But verses 18 to 28, and there was the problem that, that Paul addresses real clear. Because he's not only saying this to him, um, to them, he's addressing this to himself as well because he knows he wants to go there and preach to them, but he's making it clear to them, I know the environment in which I'm going to be preaching in. Okay? People that suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Uh, knowing God but not honoring him. Uh, wise in their own eyes. You know, this this comes out all the time, and I put there in parentheses, enlightenment. You know, the age of enlightenment, you know, in the 1400s and 1500s, when, you know, people all of a sudden, now we, we became smarter than God. You know, we could figure it out, we could do this, we could do that. Oh, modern medicine, well, we can figure this out, we can do that. You know, we become wise in our own eyes. Uh, idol worship, verse 23 uh, lusting after the hearts, verse 22, reproduce lies, verse 25, degrading passions, verse 26. And all this leads to a depraved mind, which means improper, verse 28. So again, it's just it just gets worse, 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 worse. And eventually the mind is just depraved, right? It's like, it's not entry level anymore. The mind just is just depraved. And so... For us, understand, again, preaching the gospel, teaching the gospel, uh, the importance of, of discipleship, that there are people that are coming out of this that we have to make sure they come all the way out of it and not allow some of it to coexist. Because, again, what happens in churches, if you don't clean everything out, some of it remains. And it's just like a cancer. If you don't clean it all out, it will take over. It'll just continue to reproduce itself. And so, uh, final thing there, the doctrine statements from chapter 1, Jesus, the Son of God, uh, gifts of Spirit come through Christ. We get to the Father through Christ. Uh, and we are to worship the Creator, not creation. And then one I didn't put in there was resurrection from the dead. Jesus was resurrected. 
which is a doctrine statement. Again, non-negotiable. We're not talking about, again, you know, during praise and worship where you stand up or sit down or raise your hands or you don't. That's, that's individual worship. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about theology. We're talking about what God has said. You know, uh, <clears throat> doesn't have anything to do with whether you, you know, wear a button-down shirt or an open collar or a jacket or, you know, you got tennis shoes on or anything. none of that, that. We're not talking about that. That's that's not. Those are club rules. Those aren't. That's not Christianity. So, thoughts, questions. <laughs> was that was that a load? Was that yes. a lot? So, I mean, this is the way it's going to be. That's why I'm just going to do probably a chapter <clears throat> at a time. But it's going to be loaded down with um, um, uh, doctrine statements uh, as, as we go through this. So when it's all done, you can have a list of, uh, of, of doctrine statements, those, those non-negotiables that, that we need to know. Because sometimes you'll be surprised how many times people don't know the non-negotiables. They they think, oh well, they, oh okay, that's fine. That's what that's what separates Mormonism from Christianity. That's what separates Jehovah Witnesses from Christianity. You know, and some other other groups that are that are that are out there. I, Unitarianism. Sometimes they want to claim that they are are, are Christian. They're and they're not. Uh, some Pentecostals, Oneness Pentecostal. Uh, um, um, Pentecostalism, classic Pentecostalism, is if it's if it's scripturally sound, is Christianity, but oneness Pentecostalism is not, because it does not believe in the Trinity. Okay, oneness Pentecostalism started uh, after the Azusa Street revival over here in LA in 1906, and about 1915, some of them broke off. From it, and they started what was known as Oneness Pentecostalism over in uh, in Pasadena or in the Arroyo Seco area, around in there. That's where it, where it came up. It's called Oneness Pentecostalism. T.D. Jakes is Oneness Pentecostal. That's why you, when you when they try to pin him down on the on the on the uh, on the Trinity, he, he he evades it. You can you can Google it. He just, he just, but he's one, he's one that's Pentecostal. The people don't realize that. So, anyway, yeah. Um, okay, let's go to Romans 18 and uh, to 23. And sure. In my notes, you said, even people that don't know about God, they know about God through nature shows the power of God, which yeah. is the four seasons and the migration and all that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, now that... Because I wish I understood that a little bit better. Because that's what a lot of people say. How do you know about God that have never seen Him? So how can they, the, the those in in Africa that have never heard about God, how can they be left out of all this because they've never heard? You know, mm -hmm. and that's why you touched on it here. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Is there more to this that you could explain? Yeah, um, I forgot where I I I, I read it. I know it was, in, it, was in, it was in seminary, but all peoples of the earth have a story of a worldwide flood. So when they find these tribes and these people, somewhere in their history, 
they have a history that talks of a worldwide flood in their world, you know, because obviously they didn't they didn't travel around. So that's that's just something that they found in all of these different tribes, whether in the Amazon or they're in you know Africa somewhere or they're you know up in Alaska, whatever wherever it might be. But yeah, it's ancient people were more in tune with nature than we were because that's all they had. So they studied it and they looked at it and they, they, they you know, begin to realize there was something more going on. But what happened was rather than looking at one creator, because there were so many different things that they didn't understand they tended to turn everything that they didn't understand into a different God. So that's why the God of the Bible, monotheism, uh, is, is so powerful because now what you have is, is the written down concept of one God who created all things. And that's why the big blow up the other day in the, what was it, in Congress, the guy opened up in the prayer. Did you hear about that? The guy opened up in prayer uh, when Congress was, was going to open, and he closed it. He gave some kind of limpy, limpy little prayer, but he closed it by saying, Amen and a woman. In other words, Amen, which means I agree. In his mind, he said, well, it's talking about a man, so now I'm going to say a woman. And boy, did he get flat for that from people that knew. Here's somebody that's praying a prayer in Congress has no clue. Doesn't even know what amen means. And now this person is praying in front of Congress and then we wonder why Congress is so goofy. But getting back to your question is that yeah, their nature, they, they just did not, as it says there, Rather than acknowledging the idea of, of of one God, they came up with multiple multiple deities. But then the history of the Bible is the oldest recorded history of any people on earth. There's no there's no one has an older recorded history than than the Jews and the Bible going back here. And so that brings on very early the concept of one God. And then Christianity is just an out, outgrowth of that. But to me, I remember being a little kid and wondering, you know, about God and stuff and just looking the way everything kind of worked together and in my limited capacity, I could see, well, you know, everything seems to, to work together. And if it works together, there's a plan. And if there's a plan, there has to be a planner, you know. And so you, it's, that, it's that concept. So what they found out about ancient people, ancient people do have a concept of a God, but they don't obviously have the concept of, of Christ and salvation and stuff like that, but they do have a concept of creation and things being created. Uh, uh, so... Uh, because that, that becomes now the question, well, what about people that die that have never heard the gospel? You know? Okay. Now you got, that's why Jesus is the only one who, 
who makes determination on that, who makes it and who doesn't. But, according to this, we all have revelation of God, right? Because we can see what's been created, and, and at some point you have to acknowledge there's something greater than me, there's something, something going on, something that is forcing the action, you know, and that is, uh, and that is God. And uh, so ancient people did. I always remember that scene. It was one of the first scenes in Roots. And it was where baby was born. I think it was Kunta Kinte. And what, they, what the tribes used to do is they used to lift the baby back to heaven. It was like they were acknowledging that the baby came from heaven. They had somehow had this concept that that's where the child was coming from. And then there was this creator, and they were saying, "You've given this child to me to protect and to." So and so they, they they had that concept of it. So yeah, you know they they do have concept of of, of, of creator, but uh, so it's an interesting um, um, concept because once you begin to realize there's one God, or there is a God then it's our responsibility to follow that, to accept that, because if we don't, here's the trail right here. Because what do we do? We leave God. And so what's the, what's the definition of, of, of hell? Definition of hell is the absence of God. That's, that's, that's basically what, what the definition is. So, you know, God is not in hell. So when people try and imagine, you know, the lake of fire and what is hell, imagine a world without any sort of God. Right? I mean, this is, this is, this is a horrible concept of no God, of no control, no rule, no consequence, no anything. And so when that's why, you know, it used to be used to hear a lot, they would say, don't you have any fear of God? In other words, don't you realize God will punish you for for what you're doing? Don't you have any fear of God? And so once you lose that fear of God, uh, then again, it's a domino effect. You're just going to slide deeper and deeper into it. I remember that, that uh, I don't know if Patton said this or not, but it was in the movie Patton and he was talking about how he was leading them. And I, I forget the exact question that came to them, but what George C. Scott said in the movie as Patton, he says, I pray that they never lose their fear of me. Because once they would lose their fear, they wouldn't follow him. They would have no respect. They would have nothing. And so he says, as long as they have that fear of me and the consequences, and I stood in that role, you know, uh, uh, we could get things done, but he realized that once they lost that fear, they wouldn't operate as an army anymore. You know, and so this is the danger in Christianity, by the way. If we do not fear God, we will not be the army of God in a sense. You know, so does that work? Does that help? Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's a good question. Anything else? Okay, next week we're going to pick it up, uh, chapter chapter 2. Um, 
there's going to be a lot of, next week is going to be talking about Jews, uh, because again, the Jews had the Bible first. So Paul has to make a distinction, what does that mean, and, and, and what happens to the Jews, and you know, because some people will teach, oh, well, the Jews are just totally lost now because they rejected Christ. Well, that's not what Paul preaches. But he does have to make the distinction because the Old Testament was given to the Jewish people. It was written by them, carried by them uh, until Christ. And then, you know, it's basically uh, Christianity moves out. But in the Old Testament, there was never a case where people could not, that were not Jews couldn't come to God. That was not the case. You could always come to God. You know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And you, and you have that in there. I mean, Jonah. You know, he, he goes and saves, you know, people that, that were not Jewish. And he didn't want to do it. You know, but, you know, God was trying to save them. And he was using him him to do that. So sometimes people think it was, no, only Jews got were, were, were saved or only the Jews were the, the chosen people. You know, uh, no, that's not, that's not true. God's plan was always for salvation of of all and all humanity. So, good? Okay, let's pray. Lord God, we again just thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for the Apostle Paul. We thank you for his letter to the church in Rome. Lord, we thank you for these doctrine statements. Lord, we thank you for the clarity. We thank you for the the action plan for the church. We thank you for these statements, Lord, that show us what the plumb line of Christianity is, that show us the uh, non-negotiables, that show us what real Christianity is, Lord. And so, Father, we just thank you, Lord, and we just thank you that you be with us this week and again in our country, Lord. Help us, Lord, and we thank you for Sunday service, Lord. We thank you for the message that's going to be given there, Lord. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for uh, the grace, Lord, for that message to go forth in power, Lord, and in truth, Lord, um, that you would be glorified. And so, Father, we just thank you and give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.